The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to another episode of the Rebel Alliance Media Podcast. We are back in Garage Mahal. Happy to be with you once again. It is, as always, Pootie and P-Nate. And uh, we are happy that you are on board joining the Rebellion, listening to the Rebel Alliance Podcast. We're so happy that you are with us. You are part of the Rebel Alliance. I've always thought we'd like, you know, the Vader clip right there. So good, eh? So good. Yeah. So good. Except not the traitor part. But I guess we technically would be traitors to like mainstream thought, I guess. Would yes. Be the, so we kind of fit, I guess. I don't know. That's the whole point of rebels. We are rebelling against the see status I, quo. We see, are rebelling against see what the I man, that? the establishment. The, yeah. <laughs> We're raging against the man. I love it. <laughs> You've, Darn the man! You, you've you've drug up my libertarian leanings. <laughs> so good. <laughs> nuts over here. Anyways, <laughs> we are proud members of the Berean Media Network. Yeah, along with our brothers, the Front Pew, the Layman's Cup, and the Two Thieves, who sometimes come out on Thursdays, sometimes <laughs> Fridays. Sometimes. Um, you can follow the Berean Media Network on Facebook. Please do so. Yeah. Share, like, and please invite your friends to the network. The more people we can get on that page the more we can get the gospel message out through all the platforms and all the people we reach with each of these podcasts. And the truth is, is that uh, you as a listener, you might be, you might not have time to follow four different podcasts, but we, we all kind of hit a different niche um, and everybody will find their thing. But uh, a lot of different listeners from the different podcasts, as well as the people on the different podcasts, uh, kind of congregate there at the group page. And there's some great conversations that go on. There's some funny stuff. Um, and there's just some, so we would encourage you to, to come and chat, whether you follow one of us, two of us, three of us, or all four of us. Um, just come on there and chat with us. It's a good Christian group uh, full of good gospel content and a lot of good clean laughs. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to follow all, like you don't have to listen to all four every week. You just, so we hope you do. Like you have to listen to the rebels and then you yeah. can choose one of the other three. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. Like, I agree. I agree. I, I would recommend the layman. No, it's, ba- <laughs> <laughs> it's basically, really, I was going to, um, yeah, it's, it's basically, um, rebels are the required reading and the rest are on the suggested reading list. <laughs> How's that? On the syllabus, it says yes. rebels. Yeah. And then the other ones are like, if you want to get further into yeah. your, into yeah. your course, yeah. if you want if to you get want more out of supplemental, this course, supplemental, the two, the two thieves would be like, if you really want to impress the, uh, impress the professor. Yeah. Like you, you, you're going to yeah. quote the two the, thieves. The layman, it would be like, if you want to, uh, like not want to miss out on the conversation. And then, and then the, uh, the front pew is just, if 
you if you want to please your pastor. Well, if, you, if you want to know where to eat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good point. Ah, oh, boy, we are proud members of the Berean oh, Media Network. Um, so we're going to jump into some uh, Rebel news for the week. And uh, anything happened this week that you want to either get off your chest or anything you want to talk about there, Pootie? Yeah, I don't. I realize there's a number of our listeners who are not living in Canada right now. Um, but southwestern Ontario, probably since Christmas Eve, has been just destroyed with snow. Yeah. And I know I, I have nowhere left to put it. I, I have nowhere I have I, nowhere to put yeah. it. I have uh, I live on a corner lot <laughs> and I'm about to rant for a little bit minute because <laughs> I like okay, maybe maybe I am a bit of a whiner about snow. I don't mind shoveling it. I'm kind of meticulous. I like it all Your driveway generally looks pretty pristine. I do I do I do it twice a day. I'm very I'm better at my shoveling my driveway than I'm at cutting my grass. Is like, that where you listen to so many podcasts? Do you know what? I do listen to so many podcasts. Yeah. That's where I first found some of them. Um, but I, I'm very like diligent about shoveling my driveway. But the, where I'm going with this is that this week, I haven't been able to keep up. Not because of so much snow, but because of the evil snowplow drivers. Yeah. They are everywhere and they're destroying my world, mate. Um, <laughs> I went out, like I, I'm, I'm not short, but I'm not tall. No, I'm about 5'10", maybe, 5'9", I don't know, whatever's average. <laughs> That's what I am. <laughs> That's whatever average is, I'm, I'm very that. So anyway, um, I went out and I, it was 11 o'clock at night. I was about to shovel my driveway. The plow came by. That's the worst. Which is the worst. And it was like, you know, where it's just starting to get a little more mild. So the snow has become that heavy, wet snow. And I, so I knew it was going to be a nightmare, but I'm fine with it because I actually enjoy doing it. But I went out, and I am not even joking. It was up to my waist. And it was like three feet thick Ugh. up to my waist. And it had frozen. So it was like that wet snow frozen together. I couldn't even. And so it was like if I chunked it out and I was yeah. able to with the shovel, it was all one big brick. So I was like, what am I supposed to do here? I don't have a snowblower. On, on Tuesday morning, this is no joke. I, I got up early. I had a breakfast uh, meeting. So 6 a.m. I'm in my driveway with a shovel and my axe. I went into my, my no, no joke, into my garage. <laughs> I grabbed my axe that I chop wood with in the summertime. And I had to chop, shovel, chop, shovel just to break up the ice because it was so frozen. My, my shovel wouldn't, like like you said, it wouldn't get under it. Yeah, this is this is what's so far. We still had to go to work and stuff and do our thing that day. Whereas, like, I saw pictures of like South Bend, Indiana, and they were like, you know, they've had five centimeters of snow. They shut down the city, and I'm just like, <laughs> how? How yeah. is it like? We I have, get those kind of dustings in the summertime. Get out of here! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I brought five centimeters of snow in off my boot. Like it was unbelievable. <laughs> I saw I, there was a couple things I was very furious, and I so mm. I I tweeted out of anger. Yep, I tweeted some things out of anger, and a couple of them were. These are probably not funny, but I'm, I'm telling you anyway, because I try to impress you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so I just wanted to remind everybody to not react like I did this week. And just to remember that Jesus would hang out and break, bed with, break bread with all the snowplow drivers. Woody. 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 I think he would. I think he would. He came, you know, for the lost. Um, and, you know, the snowplow drivers, well, they're just the tax collectors of our time. Like, that's okay, man. That's fine. That everyone hates. They're universally hated. I actually feel bad for them as they drive by because, like, I know, like, and I probably treat them fairly okay. Like, I don't I don't even acknowledge they exist on, like, in life. Um, but I feel like everybody else who's out there shoveling, like, snowballs, birds, the whole nine yards. It's terrible. Yeah. 
but they they kind of deserve it because I feel like, particularly in my driveway, I feel like they're they're out to get me a little bit because like I just go out and I shovel <laughs> it's and conspiracy. I conspiracy and then like all of a sudden it's just like it almost like he takes more than he needs to and like kind of backs up and does it again. I have nothing to prove this because I've never caught him, but I just feel like maybe I'm just whining. Am I whining? A little bit. A little bit? Yeah. yeah it's justified. It's been a tough week of shoveling. It's, my back and arms are sore. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. I, I've been taking popping Advil like they're candies, <laughs> like, like they're Pez all week. <laughs> like, like they're Pez. Yeah. So that's what's on, but on my mind, just been ranting about the snowplow. What yeah. about you? Okay, so I'm still kind of in the wake of the Golden Globe stuff that I find infuriating. So um, there's something that I kind of wanted to mention that I thought was um, particularly aggravating from the Golden Globe stuff that I didn't get to talk about last week when we chatted about this stuff. Nice. But uh, do you know who uh, Connie Britton is? No. Connie Britton is the, uh, so she's the mom from Friday Night Lights. Okay, the, I know you who know you're that actress. About. I just she's didn't know the redhead. Name. Yep. Yeah, so she wore a shirt to the Golden Globes that said, poverty is sexist. Sorry. Which I which I don't really understand anyway. Poverty is sexist. I th- I think what she's talking about is the inequality of pay. I think, I, I I that's the only thing I can really gather. But here's the funny thing: is it's now come out that that was an, a three hundred and eighty dollars shirt because it was a designer shirt, right? It was it, you know they they only wear designer shirts. So she was wearing a three hundred and eighty dollars shirt that said poverty is sexist. The hypocrisy of Hollywood is keeping me up at night sometimes. I like I'm I honestly I cannot stand this. It's so ridiculous. And to hear like, you know, Connie Britton and Reese Witherspoon and Oprah and some of these people get on there and uh and I think it was I think it was Connie or somebody else who was um basically talking about uh inequality, the pay gap between men and women. And I'm like we don't need Hollywood to lecture us on this stuff. You are a millionaire. Stop talking about the pay gap that affects us little people. You do not live in a normal world. When you can wear a $380 t-shirt that says poverty is sexist, you don't live in my world. So let's not, you don't have a voice in this particular region because you don't understand it. So that, that was bothering me. And then it just fired me up all over again about the whole golden globes and Hollywood thinking that they can fix all the problems and, and just the hypocrisy of saying like we can lead the charge against sexual assault. That is a big problem in Hollywood. <laughs> like, like, like we'll lead the charge against ourselves. It's like the NFL saying they're going to take the lead in ending DUI. Like, or, or honestly, it's like the, the, the equivalent to Hollywood getting together and talking about, you know, how they're going to put an end to poverty or they're going to put an end to sexual harassment when they're the perpetrators of it, right? And like, let's not forget Hollywood about Fifty Shades of Grey and all these things that you put out there that objectifies women and then we're all up in arms about all the objectification of women. But that's the equivalent of like like NFL owners getting together and talking about the problem of concussions, <laughs> right? Like, oh, th- like this needs to end. It's like, well, you're kind of profiting off this right like you can't get together and talk about concussions in sport like it's a good thing to want to protect your players and stuff but at the end of the day you're profiting off of their losses and this is the same with hollywood so um 
so that that was bugging me and then of course i get i get when i get fired up i look into some of this stuff and and so and i I start reading stuff that aggravates me further and then i get i suddenly i feel like the two thieves and i get really curmudgeonly for a little while but so i found um when i was when i was looking at some of the connie Britton stuff and some of the reactions uh when they when people found out that this is a 380 dollar t-shirt that there was a um a headline in the los angeles times uh, about a month ago, um, after there was another Hollywood event where they were talking about um, women, and this is this is I'm not kidding you. This is an, an L.A. Times headline. It says, <laughs> like I, I'm not even reading the article. This is just the headline. It says reports report shows one in four <laughs> one in four homeless people in L.A. are women. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Seriously, that's the headline. I'm not. I, I'm not making this up. One in four, one in four homeless people in LA are women. So that's your headline. Not three out of four are men, but one out of four are women. And so they're again right now. Hey, guess what? It's trendy to talk about the uh, the objectification of women, the 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 you know um, unfairness of the world against women. One in four, Pootie. One in four of the homeless people are women. How can we stand for such injustice? I can't, I can't tolerate that. <laughs> you can't tolerate that sort of injustice. You know what? We need Hollywood people to lead, to lead the charge on putting an end to this. If they have their way, zero out of four homeless people will be women. Yeah. Can, can, the hypocrisy of this blows my mind. Not oh, only a $380 shirt, which probably buys, what, 75 Happy Meals? So you could feed, yeah. with that one t-shirt, like... 75 people a meal that's right. unbelievable but hollywood has is one is the probably the only people group on earth if you collectively pooled their pooled their resources who could just end all of those problems yeah. oprah could fund if we put honestly so here's here's a, a stat for you if we put a three percent tax right all, all all the actors and actresses by the way they're pretty much all democrats so they love taxing people and so all we have to do is put a three percent tax on the uh, an extra three percent tax on the income paid to actors in Hollywood, three percent, it would end malaria on Earth. Really? That, that that yeah, that's not a joke. That's 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 what it would cost to provide enough medicine to put an end to malaria that kills tons of people in third world countries. That's all it would take. Three percent, three percent. Now I'm not for the extra taxation, but I, I'm just saying that that's a very that's a very doable thing. That can happen tomorrow. Yeah. But it won't happen because they're just hypocrites. Yeah. And and we gotta be we have to be a little careful. There are there are some celebrities who are doing for good sure. things yeah, in the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. Um I don't know I don't know how much he's doing, but Bono seems to be doing a ton for people yeah. in Africa and AIDS. Yeah, I know Denzel Washington, Albert Pujols is a ball player. I know exactly. there's lots of people who are doing good stuff. There's, yeah, there's tons sure. of people doing good stuff. My point is, is that as a people, as a as a group of people, yeah, you can't profess one thing and then your actions live a different way. Right. This is what we talk about all the time in church, all the time yep. in culture. You can't proclaim one thing and then live a lifestyle that completely contradicts what you say your truth is. Yep. And as we learned last week, people proclaiming what their truth is, well, it's time to put your truth 
in action. To the test. Because yeah. if your truth doesn't have action, it's dead. Yeah. So let's see let's see it, Hollywood. Oh, calling you out again. Yeah. And <laughs> hey, end oh. hunger. Yeah. End hunger and yeah. we and we will never talk badly about you again. Yeah. End it. Yeah. Um, so that's that. Uh, that's that's kind of what's what's on uh, what was on my mind. And then let's just be honest. For anybody who follows Donald Trump, we had another fantastic week of tweets that just make you laugh. Like when you go to Twitter. So right, there's this big book that came out. You know, uh, talking about uh, Trump's stability. This uh, by Michael Wolff, uh, uh, something of fire. Anyway, it talks about, you know, the incompetence of Trump, essentially. So he talks about how Trump is not very smart and not very mentally stable. So what does a smart and mentally stable person do to respond to that? He takes to Twitter (laughs) and he calls himself a stable genius. (laughs) Like, that's a real tweet. That's a real tweet. The president of the United States goes on Twitter and calls himself a stable genius. Oh. It, this is it, it scares me a little bit that yeah, the president this, of the United States, the leader of the free world, so to speak, has time to be on Twitter. I know has time he, to concern himself with what, for lack of a better term, the peasants yeah. are saying. <laughs> like it blows my mind that this is a thing. Well, it, I just it's, I'm convinced somebody else is doing all the work and he's just the, the just mouth tweeting. <laughs> well, like, I, what I find hilarious. Did you see the one? This is going back a couple of weeks, so we're a bit behind on commenting on it. But did you see the one where it talked about um, how uh, he he was referencing, you know, the uh, the nuke button, right? The Kim Jong Un said something about how he has a has a nuke button on his desk, and so Trump goes on Twitter and says, "I also have a button on my desk, and my button is much bigger." <laughs> and it works better like something like that and it works and i'm just like are you serious so now so now the president's jumping on twitter and and like arguing about the size of his button like this is is this real life and the problem is it is this is real life oh boy it blows my mind it blows my mind too we i think it's time we take a break because if we don't take a break yeah nate needs to go cool down you (laughs) you might melt down yeah i I can confess this is bad radio, but I can confess I can see steam rising from your forehead right <laughs> yeah. now, my friend. Yeah, yeah. So let's take a break. Today, uh, we're going to be talking about the rapture. Uh, after our conversation last week, we had a few questions coming out about uh, the rapture. And so uh, we're going to take take some time to talk about that. But first, let's take a break. That's not going to calm you down at all. No, but Whatever. let's take a break anyway. Are you afraid to open the last book of your Bible? Do you think you need special revelation to understand the book of Revelation? Are you scared you'll get left behind trying to understand all that symbolism? Are you afraid your brain might rupture trying to figure out when the rapture will happen? Relax. We've got good news for you. The book of Revelation is filled with many symbols and much imagery, but you can gain understanding by learning fundamental rules of interpretation and applying them properly to the biblical text. Let Pastor Nate Wright guide you through his Eschatology 101 video series. Check it out at rebelalliancemedia.com eschatology. That's Eschatology 101 with Nate Wright at rebelalliancemedia.com eschatology. I see you in the 
Welcome back. Uh, I've cooled down, and uh, Chris is Chris is chuckling. We got smiles on our faces now, so we're good to go, and we're good to talk about something else that might fire us up, but we'll try to laugh along the way. So uh, last week we talked about preterism. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, why we think partial preterism is the right way to understand uh, the New Testament passage, uh, biblical prophetic te- texts. And, uh, and so we had some questions about the rapture and how the rapture kind of fits into that whole narrative. Uh, so, spoiler alert, it doesn't. <laughs> we <laughs> don't believe in a rapture. Yeah. Shut down. We don't believe in a rapture. Um, <clears throat> so, if, if what we mean by, so let's, for, maybe our listeners are really great and orthodox and have a good understanding of scripture, and they're like, what is he talking about? Um, but for most of us who live in North American Christianity, uh, the rapture refers to a, uh, a, a time in history when Christians believe Jesus is going to um, snatch away his church. So Christians will go to heaven prior to, to their death, um, and right before, or right in the middle of the tribulation. These are generally referred to as pre-tribulation rapture or mid-tribulation rapture, or you can talk about post-tribulation rapture. Um, but the idea here is there's, there's some point on his, in history when Jesus pulls his people, the Christians off the planet and uh, the the end times begin or continue, and God once again turns his attention from the church back to Israel. So the whole idea of a rapture comes from, first of all, a faulty distinction between the church and Israel, right? So they believe that um, the Old Testament deals with God and Israel, the New Testament deals with God and the church, and God's going to turn his attention back to Israel. What that fails to understand is that the church has always been Israel, and Israel has always been the church. God has always only had one people. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 makes this absolutely clear, that there was once two men, but Jesus Christ, with his work, has torn down the dividing wall of hostility and created one new man out of the two, both Jew and Gentile. So it's... uh, the Bible makes it absolutely clear. The book of James is is uh, dedicated to, he says, it, written to the, the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, is that not for Christians? No, we know the book of James is for Christians because Israel is the church and the church is Israel. Um, and so I would just say that that's where the faultiness starts. But this idea that God is going to rapture his church before things start going badly on the earth. Yeah, where'd that come from? Well... So this should be the first warning sign is that for a long time, 2,850 years in church history, or sorry, 1,850 years of church history, nobody had ever believed this before. Um, and then what happened uh, between 18, around 1830 um, is, uh, yeah, around 1830, it started to, basically it came out of the Plymouth Brethren um, and it came out of a charismatic meeting um, there was a guy named Darby who, uh, he was either the pastor there or he was, uh, a pastor who was at this meeting. And there was this teenage girl who kind of got a vision from God, extra biblical vision from God about God rapturing the church, taking the church off the earth before the earth was about to get really, um, bad. And that's kind of the history of where this sprung up. So prior to 1830, there's just no evidence from any church pastors, teachers, scholars, um, who were teaching anything about a rapture, and then it kind of arises in 1830. So that should be our first warning sign, is that the history of God's people 
we've not believed this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. That should be our first warning sign. And then the second problem with the rapture is that there's actually no explicit text that teaches it. Even if you talk to people who believe wholeheartedly in a rapture, they would acknowledge there's not a specific text that teaches about it. It's implied in scripture. That should be a second warning sign. If it's something that's so important as to have a whole generation of Christians removed from the earth, there should be an explicit text that teaches it. Yeah, so the there has to be some verses that people who believe in a rapture cling to, right? So a couple of those verses, Matthew 24, First uh, Thessalonians 4, those are the verses. We're going to go there now. So if you can open up your Bibles, Matthew 24, um, verse, let's start in, let's start in verse 37, Matthew 24, verse 37. Let's just read it and then plain reading of it. What does it, what does it sound like? We'll break that right. down. And so... Um, we're going to kind of make fun of (laughs) just all cards on the table. We're going to kind of make fun of the interpretation, but I want you to understand why we're making fun of it. So the point is, is that as we read these texts, we're going to tell you what the plain reading of it is. And so then you, you are left with how did people who believe in a rapture get this out of that text? And the truth is you have to believe in a rapture prior to and go back to the Bible and reread it. You have to place your, your belief of a rapture on top of the scripture in order to get it out of here. So that's what happened in 1830s. This girl gets a vision, Darby you know, runs with it, and a whole group of the Plymouth Brethren begin to push this view. So they go back to the scriptures and start to, to, to in, impose their belief onto it. But it all arose from an extra biblical charismatic vision. That should be a warning sign. Exactly. We're not making fun of you for believing it because you were probably just taught it. Right. You know what I mean? We're just making fun of the fact that this is even taught. Yeah. Um, so. So yeah, Matthew 24, go for it. Starting, where'd you say verse 36? Yeah. Well, why don't we start in yeah, 37. 37. Sure. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the com- coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And then they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the son of man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken away and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Just just for uh, just to pause there for a second. So for those of you who have ever heard of or read about or read the books, the Left Behind series, this is where they get that. This yeah. is where that phrase left behind is taken. You notice two men will be working in the field. One gets taken, one gets left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. The Newsboys wrote a whole song saying, you know, uh, wish we'd all been ready. And they talk about not wanting to be left behind. That's where this phrase comes from, this verse. Yeah, but so, the, the problem is we have to back... We, we, no, no, yeah, keep, keep going. Well, I'm, just, I'm, okay. just, I'm just letting people know <laughs> this is where that phrase came from. Oh, no problems. So now they're saying, wow, that sounds like a rapture. Yep. So verse 42, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know the day when the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you must also be ready... For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Okay, so so knowing what we know about left behind and knowing that we don't want to be left behind, um, we would read that and say, okay, Chris, that sounds like a rapture. And you would say... Well, no, because <laughs> right. when you when you read the plainly, if you just read those verses, and this is, like you said earlier, this is one of the big texts that, the, that hinges this whole 
theological idea, for lack of a better term, yep. um, on is the idea of being left behind. Well, it references what that's like right in the beginning. It says in the days of Noah. Well, what happened in the days of Noah? The flood came and swept Everyone away. Got swept away. Who was left behind in that story, though? Noah and Noah his family. Noah and his righteous family. So, well, Noah's the righteous one, but yep. his family. The, it was good in the days of Noah to be left behind. That's right. So then it... So, just so <laughs> the whole premise of this book that we don't want to be left behind seems to go exactly against what this is saying. We do want to be left behind, just like Noah was left behind. The righteous family was saved from judgment. The, the unrighteous were swept away, taken away in judgment, and the righteous were left behind. So we want to be left behind. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and which is, which it goes in Jesus almost anticipating the people question. are going to mess this up. <laughs> exactly. Defi- breaks it down for us twice more. Yeah. It means as one will be taken, one will be left. One will be taken, one will be left. Pointing out that one who is left is the good one, the right. Noah of the story. So breaking this down very plainly, it's good to be left behind. Which goes right in the opposite of what right. Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins and Darby. <laughs> who don't want to be left behind. Who don't want yeah. us to be left behind. Yeah, we there's should a whole website. Up. I don't know if it's still up, but there was a whole website. Uh, Tim LaHaye, Tommy Ice, a bunch of these guys started it. Um, uh, somebody Hunt. Uh, Daniel Hunt, Tommy Ice, yeah. And it was called Rapture Ready. And the whole point was, <laughs> like, be, like, get, like, be ready for the rapture. Don't get left behind. And it's just like, have, have you read the Bible, right? Because that, that's the point. They just ignore this like in the days of Noah. Noah was left behind. We want to be left behind. We do not want to be taken away in judgment. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is that this is actually a theme throughout Scripture. Like Psalm 27 talks about how it's the, it's the wicked who get uprooted from the land and it's the righteous who inherit the land. Jesus actually quoting from there in Matthew chapter 5 says it's the meek who inherit the earth. Yeah. Right. It's and yet the rapture kind of turns that on its head and says the the righteous are are taken away and the wicked inherit the earth. Right. They, it goes directly against the words of Jesus. It's the meek who inherit the earth, not the wicked. So why would he rapture the meek? Why would he rapture the righteous and leave the land, leave the earth to be inherited by the wicked? It goes directly against the words of Jesus, directly against the uh, the 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 story of the Old Testament, and and directly against Psalm twenty-seven. It, it also goes directly against the Great Commission. Yeah. Jesus <laughs> Jesus commands us to go get the nations, only for us to get snatched away to give them back. Right. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't What's, make any sense. What no. was the point of him? coming back to reclaim yep. from Satan what was given away at the first sin with Adam. Yep. So Jesus could have just taken it from Satan at the time, but he didn't. He left it to us to get back, but then he's going to pull us away. He's going to rapture us, so to speak, to give back the nations to the pagans, to the to the heathens. It doesn't make any sense, which is also funny that this verse is also where we get this, like, almost like that tied into the scare tactic, like where he goes into the... the be ready because you don't know when the thief, the thief in the night is going to come and snatch you away. So, you know, almost scare you. Do you, you want faith. to be snatched away like, by a thief? Well, you, you've told the story from the pulpit a few times, so I don't feel like you'd be too upset about sharing that. Nope. You going home from school yeah. and being f- afraid because your parents were out and you didn't know where they were and you thought you were left behind. Yeah. So when I was a kid, I grew up in a pre-tribulation, uh, pre-trib church that uh, was big on left behind and, and such. And so uh, my mom ran a daycare when I was a kid. And so we always came home to lots of kids in the house. So I came home from school one time. I was probably like 
12 or 13 and uh and the doors were unlocked but nobody was there none of the kids my mom wasn't there none of it so i and i think we had just either maybe you know in youth in junior high or something we had just talked about the rapture and not being left behind and all this so i phoned my dad at the church office and he didn't pick up oh boy right so then i start panicking and i no doubt i grabbed a church directory and started phoning the name the numbers of people that i figured would not be left behind right like if this guy's not gone then i'll then i'm fine so i started calling people and i got to two numbers nobody picked up and i start like crying bawling i'm like confessing every sin i've ever done like praying that god wouldn't leave me behind and like as i'm like on my knees crying out to god my mom comes home with the rest of the daycare kids like what's wrong i'm like i thought i got left behind mom's like well then there's some things in your life you need to work out (laughs) she used that as a teachable moment (laughs) yeah she used that as a teachable moment (laughs) but so uh (laughs) thanks mom um but uh, god uses it but not to go off topic here my favorite part of that story because i've heard you tell that before my favorite part of that story is that you mentally as a 12 year old boy you were like they're definitely these people are definitely christians <laughs> yeah. not sure about all these yeah. other people like I, I, I can't even think of who they would have been but it, it like it, it would have been funny to like go back and see who in the church directory i skipped over to get to the really righteous <laughs> people yeah that's funny these are the righteous people i these people put both their heads up during worship yeah, yeah, exactly this guy worships with his eyes closed <laughs> Oh so good. boy, the brain of what, it. What's the what's the other verse? The, uh, First Thessalonians four is the other is the other big. Uh, this seems like the big one. Yeah. So First Thessalonians four. Um, is, uh, I, I'll just start it in verse thirteen. He says, "We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope." For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring him uh, with him, sorry, those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together uh, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will all be with the Lord. We therefore encourage one another with these words. So this is that, you know, um, Jesus comes down and we meet him in the air. We meet with him in the air. That's that's where they're getting this whole idea of the rapture. But what's so interesting about that is that notice Christ comes down. And then if this is the rapture, Christ comes down, we meet him in the air. And what are they imputing to this text that it doesn't say? And then Christ changes direction and goes (laughs) back up with all of us because we're going to heaven, right? That's the rapture. If this is the rapture, then Jesus then changes direction in midair, mind you. (laughs) That's a Seinfeld reference. Um, The loogie switches directions (laughs) midair. Yeah. So Christ switches directions and heads back up after meeting us in the clouds, which, I mean, who am I to say, you know, why do you have to come down and meet us, Jesus? We'll just meet you up there. Just bring us up to you. But the point is, is that that's not what this passage is about. This is about when, when Christ comes back. This is about, you know, the end of the age. First uh, Corinthians 15 talks about uh, Christ coming down to deal with the last enemy, death himself, personally. That's what this is. This is the second coming. This is not 
the rapture. Yeah, he's talking about people who are a debt, who are asleep in Christ, which the Bible references those people who are who are in Christ but have passed away before right. he's come back. Right. Um, he's not talking about all, all the saints on earth being caught up to him. Right. Um, I think we both agree that when Christ does come back, everybody will be brought to him. All nations will be, though. Everyone. Yeah, so, absolutely. Amen. Um, so, yeah, I just think that's funny that that's the verse. Um, it's also it just always has struck me that the word rapture never shows up in Scripture at all. Yeah, it, it's the where they're getting that from is is from the Greek word in that text caught up together. That's what the, the term rapture means caught up together. That's that's where they're getting that from. Um, so that, I did, I yeah, did that's that. that's where they pull that from. But um, it's uh, the the other the other text that they sometimes use is in first Corinthians. Um, which, I mean, we, we have all kinds of thoughts on 1 Corinthians and, and why most people in the church don't understand it. <laughs> um, but uh, it talks about how um, we're raised, and it talks about um, those who are raised, it's Christ, the first fruits, and then those who are asleep. And so the idea here is that Christ is the first fruits. It's not, it's not uh, Christ, then the first fruits, and then those of us who are asleep. It's Christ, the first fruits. So that's that's just another small one for anybody who might go there as well. But the big one that I think is is definitely worth talking about is is John seventeen, right? This is at, at the at the end of the day, what's so wrong with believing in a rapture? I think what's so wrong with it is that Jesus very specifically, very directly told us not to hope for to get raptured. Do you have it there? Yeah, I have it. I yeah, have go it for it. So John 17, high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying, and he's praying for his disciples, and then he says, I'll pray for all those who will believe. So he's praying for all future disciples, which includes us. And what does he say there, Chris? Yeah, I'll start, I'll start in verse uh, 14, just so you get the context of what Jesus is praying. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So right there, Jesus directly refutes the idea of a rapture. Right. And so you have <clears throat> you have a whole group of people who believe in a rapture who actually call the rapture the hope of the church. That's what when I was in the uh, when I was a pastor in the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, that's where I, I started. I left there for theological reasons. And 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 part of it was that they um, they they referred to the rapture as the hope of the church. The rapture is not the hope of the church. First of all, Christ is the hope of the church. Secondly, we can't call the hope of the church. We can't sit here and hope to be raptured and pray to be raptured when Jesus says, I do not pray that you would take them out of the world. So all of you who are listening right now, praying that you would be raptured before the tribulation, just know that you are praying for something that Jesus specifically prayed against. He said, I do not pray that you would take them out of the world. But that you would deliver them from the evil one. And how are we delivered from the evil one? Uh, it says in Romans that the God of peace will now will soon crush Satan underneath our feet. It's through our efforts, through the, the uh, advancement of the kingdom of God in the hands of the saints that Satan gets crushed, that Satan gets destroyed. And that's what Jesus is praying for in his high priestly prayer. Don't take them out of the world. Just give them the power in the world to overcome the evil one. Yeah, he says it two verses later. Sanctify them in your truth. Yeah. I mean, like, how, keep your them, word is keep truth. Keep them. Your word is truth. Keep them in that truth. Yeah. 
keep them from the evil one by sanctifying them. Yeah. So it blows my mind. And and so, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I think that, um, so this is the second week that we've kind of talked about stuff related to eschatology, right? And it's no secret that we're post-millennial in our eschatology. We, we have several episodes on that. Uh, I would encourage you to go listen. Uh, if, you, if, if you want to study eschatology, actually our friends in the Berean Media Network, the Two Thieves, did a fantastic little mini-series on eschatology. They brought in guests um, who uh, taught through both the, uh, the pre-millennial uh, the all-millennial and the post-millennial perspectives. And they did a great job um, on, on kind of um, teaching each view fairly and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think what one of the things that um, I've been thinking about, just because I'm preaching in the book of Acts right now, is there's this line in, in Acts chapter 1. It happens right after the ascension. And this is, I think, part of part of maybe the the application here so when we talk about whether it's preterism that we talked about last week or the rapture there are a lot of christians who spend a lot of time on this it's it's interesting that you know we're not talking about best-selling christian books we're talking about new york times bestsellers left behind late great planet earth like this is like when does christian literature ever top the charts when it's talking about eschatology like and so you get a whole group of people who are so eschatology crazed and they're looking for blood moons and they're looking for signs of the rapture and they're they're reading the headlines in jerusalem because they think it's it's indicating that the end is near and it's so interesting at the ascension in the book of acts um jesus goes up into the clouds it says uh right when jesus when he jesus had said all these things and um while they were looking on talking about the disciples he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight while they were gazing into heaven as he went behold two men stood in white robes beside them and said men of galilee why do you stand looking into heaven and like and that's and then he, he they go on to say jesus who uh was taken up into heaven will come in the same way and but I feel like that's the church sometimes right now. There's a good picture of the church. And I feel like, you know, if God could send his messengers, his angels to us to say something specific, it would be like, why are you looking up into heaven? <laughs> like, why are you sitting there wanting to be raptured? Why are you like, what is it that's in you that makes you want to be taken off this earth that still needs to be healed? that still needs to be put under the feet of Jesus in victory. There are still non-Christians. There are still people who are not bowing the knee to Christ. And, and yet we are sitting around praying to be taken away. We're, we're sitting around praying to escape the tribulation. If, if there is, and I don't believe there is, if there is a seven-year tribulation period that's in the future of the, the history of the world, I don't, I don't subscribe to that eschatology. But if there is, why as Christians do we want to escape that so bad when we know in the midst of turmoil is when the gospel grows the most? What, what sense does it make to um, remove his witnesses from the world? at a time when his witnesses are most needed. It's just silly to me. And so when we look around and we make comments about how the world is getting worse and worse, the way Christians respond to a world that's getting worse and worse is to repent and begin to lead the charge and turning the world right, back, right side up again. And so we don't get the luxury of saying, this place is a mess. Jesus, like pull the chute, get us out of here. Um, because Jesus prayed, I do not pray that you take them out of the world because he recognized that the church is the hope of the world because Christ is the hope of the world and we are his ambassadors. So it, it, this is, a, this is, it's not just a theological topic that we want you to be correct on. This has massive 
massive practical implications for how Christians live their lives. Men and women of God, don't stand looking up into heaven. Don't stand with your finger on the pulse of all the news that's going on in Jerusalem right now. Get to the work of expanding your kingdom. And that's exactly what the disciples do after being chastised by these angels. Go get to work. Absolutely. And that's why we we challenge this doctrine so much because yeah. the the temptation with this is to put your hope, like you said, in something into something that's false. Um, looking to something other than Christ for the hope and the salvation of this world, which isn't good. It's an idol. Right. And so let's stop doing that so we can get, like you just said, to work. Yep. Amen. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Um, once again, thanks for joining the rebellion. Uh, there are lots of ways that you can uh, help us out. Subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We're on all of them. Um, find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter. Find us on Instagram. Follow all those platforms. And if, if you are a regular listener, you can help us expand by just introducing us to some of your friends, some of your church mates, um, some of the people on your Facebook page. Uh, just share our content. Invite your friends to like our content. That's the way that you can join the rebellion and help us continue to spread the good news of the gospel of the kingdom uh, to a culture that desperately needs it. Till next time. Thanks, Rebels. Cheers. Peace.